Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Rocco. And this is episode 23 of Destination Linux. Hi, Rob. Hello, Rocco. We've got a guest today. We do. Our guest, Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. It's great to be here. Excellent to have you, Chris. Chris, you have a YouTube channel that, That's you, right, yeah. that you do videos on. What do you do on your YouTube channel? What do you make? What kind of videos? Uh, the bulk of the uh, the content is looking at uh, Linux distributions, the occasional look at BSD distributions as well and, and, and whatnot, and just sort of look at how they're put together. And we sort of come at it from a, a more of like an intermediate user, so not necessarily right from from beginner level stuff, but we also don't really do hit on things like programming too much or, or server level stuff. It's really uh, the desktop, I would say, is the wheelhouse for my channel. And we look at distributions, everything from Ubuntu, the Ubuntu variants, uh, also go into things like Fedora and OpenSUSE, occasionally with OpenSUSE. And then we also do some of the quirkier ones like um, like Peppermint, for example, which uh, we'll be looking at later on. Um, so yeah, and we do a lot of um, discussion topics as well, um, internet privacy and net neutrality, stuff like that. Um, but it's generally a pretty informal channel. I try and keep it discussion level. And effectively, the entire channel really is just a discussion between me and the, and the commenters that has been going on since 2013. Uh, but I have a lot of fun with it, and I have, some of the, like, I have some of the best commenters in the world on my channel because I'm sure you guys have noticed that sometimes it can be a little bit tricky to discuss <laughs> uh, stuff in anywhere, you know, any corner these days. But I think one of the things about my channel, which I'm just so proud of more than anything else, is that um, it, it, it is inclusive of a community of people that can discuss and disagree and argue and still sort of be perfectly constructive and civilized and grown up about it at the end of the day. Um, and that's one of the things, and I'm sure it's symptomatic, of course, of the, the wider Linux and open source community as well. But it's, uh, you know, why, why I do what I do. Well, Chris, the name of your channel is, for those of you who aren't familiar with you, is Chris Ware's Tech Channel, correct? Is that? Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah. you, you said it. I was going to use the word, but you used the word already. The one thing that I do truly appreciate about your channel is it's grown up. You can go there, you can listen to your commentary or discussion about whatever your subject matter is, and if you read through, just as you said, you find intelligent, thoughtful conversation going on. That's it, yeah. And it's, uh, I think it's worth holding on to more than anything else these days on the internet. Absolutely, yeah, because we see that kind of slipping away for sure. Well, one mm. of the questions we ask all of our guests, and and by the way, so for whoever's watching this is going to be kind of a different format in that uh, you're not you're going to act more like a co-host with us today and go through the news with us as opposed to just being a guest. But one of the questions we always have for everyone is how did you get into GNU Linux? Well, um, well, this is a, a janky story. <laughs> uh, the first time I picked up Linux was on the front of a magazine. It was, I think it was Linux format and it was SUSE at the time. Um, and, I remember, I think my dad, who, who spent some time working on servers, had pointed out that Linux was, it was the, the operating system that you had to learn if you were really going to get big into computers professionally. And that was the, the big thing that I wanted to do at the time as a kid. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I picked up a SUS for whatever it was, five pounds um, off, the, off the front of a magazine. Uh, and I tried it, and it was incredibly difficult, but really rewarding. It came with KDE and GNOME, and I had a great time with both of those desktop environments, even back then. Um, I must, I must have been about 10, but, um, you know, wow. I don't use 
pick it up and 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 go with it. Um, getting things like set up with the internet and getting your hardware configured was a little bit trickier. Um, but I, but at that time, to me, it was always more of a an intellectual exercise. It was just something I wanted to learn um, as you do through that kind of curi- you know curious stages. And then uh, I never really considered it much until I got my first sort of laptop. It was the first sort of piece of computer tech that was just mine. I could do anything I wanted with it, and uh, and I wanted it to be a Linux laptop. I wanted that like my my foot into the, the sort of the grown up computer world. I wanted to do it on Linux. That was just what I wanted to get familiar with, what I wanted my wheelhouse to be. And, um, and I did. And my first distribution that was full-time was Fedora Core 6, Fedora Core 5, maybe. Wow. So that's going back a fair while. And, and I, I found that user-friendly at the time, but restrictive in terms of codecs and DVD playback. And that was, that was the big problem with Linux at the time there. So I tried that. And I went through university with that as well. Um, and I did fine. That was that was great. Although, like with any of the tools I needed, the university could have stepped up. You know, could have could have filled any gaps. But uh, most of my university work was writing and office stuff and um, LibreOffice or OpenOffice at the time was was pretty easy, uh, pretty pretty capable of doing that. So I moved through Fedora. Then I moved through the Ubuntu variants, as one tends to do. Um, and I found those to be a lot more um, accessible to new users in regards to the. Um, Codex and whatnot, but my first upgrade into widescreen was my first look at Linux Mint then, because Linux Mint at the time was the first distribution that I was able to install, so the first, I don't know, newbie-friendly distribution, we'll say, um, that actually supported widescreen monitors. Um, And I found that really sort of looking back on it, it seems quite strange that Linux Mint would support widescreen monitors out of the box before Ubuntu, and it might have been only by a couple of months. Um, but it was the thing that made me when I was like eyeing up all the distributions to use on, on my first upgrade, it was Linux Mint. But then since then, I've been distro hopping month in, month out um, and, and loving it ever since. And at the moment, uh, I'm on Ubuntu Mate 17.04, that's the latest one. And um, I have had zero problems with it. Absolutely love it. Um, Very so nice. That's Good choice. For, Good choice. Yeah. It's the distribution that I recommend most people to try out on that I know personally and my friends and my family, um, because I mean, what's, what's not to like about it. It's, you know, it, it carries those traditional desktop paradigms. So people can just pick it up and use it in a somewhat familiar way. You're never going to get complete familiarity because that's just the nature of different systems. But, you know, you can fashion it similar to Windows. The software boutique makes it incredibly easy to install software without actually having to be there to help someone through it. Um, and a lot of it is the intuitiveness of it. The, it's the it's the little touches of just thinking a step ahead. Where, you know, where would someone instinctively look for something, or how would someone instinct? So it it seems that there are a lot of sort of like indescribable ways that 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 make whatever it is you're looking for in a likely place that you're likely to search for it, as it were. Um, and also pretty responsive as well, um, and decent with resources. Absolutely. Well, you. I think it was Linux Mint for me that um, was the first distro I installed and I didn't have to spend crazy amounts of time getting the Wi-Fi drivers to work. Oh, yes. You know, it was like that aha moment, like, what? It it just works? Probably everyone has gone through that. And, um, you know, if you're new to Linux, you know, and you're just coming into it, you, you take all those things for granted that, hey, it just all works, you know, primarily. 
but but it sounds like you were familiar with the days where you could spend two hours trying to get your Wi-Fi driver set up or your audio yeah. card to work. <laughs> I've actually I've always been lucky with audio and Wi-Fi, even though I know those are the bane of many a Linux users' existence. Um, and it might actually have something to do with the fact of of me leaning more towards things like uh, Linux Mint early on, because I thought I came in when it was still very very new. So I think people who might be a little bit further along the journey than I am, probably remember the bad old days a little bit worse. I think with me, the worst of it was was the widescreen uh, issue mm. more than anything else. I found the tra- I found the transition to that really strange across distributions. Um, nowadays, I feel that you could just have any resolution whatsoever, and Linux would take it in its stride, and that was well, that was probably the best part of about seven or eight years ago. So. So we have come a long way since then. It doesn't feel that long, though. Well, it does, drivers, it really. <laughs> the drivers have always been an issue as far as getting them set up right, even 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 today sometimes. And that we've come so far with Linux, and yet still today, and I'm talking from right now I'm running Ubuntu proper, and you know when I come out of suspend, I'm using the NVIDIA drivers, and when I come out of suspend, the whole desktop is got particles in it. And, you know... I guess it's a problem with the NVIDIA drivers themselves, but it seems like we come so far and yet we're we're still not quite there yet. Mm. Rocco, you, you're calling it Ubuntu proper. Probably in just a few short weeks, we're going to be calling it long lost Ubuntu instead of Ubuntu <laughs> proper. It's actually, yeah, it's, uh, it's actually Unity. Can you believe I'm running Unity? Like, I don't, me being like a, a KDE guy, I don't, I don't know why I'd be running Unity, but I'm, I'm, actually finding it that it's not that bad so so you would have been the guy that just when they were everyone was switching over to cars as opposed to horse and buggy i'm getting a horse decided to try (laughs) (laughs) come on come on chris you've tried unity is it that bad i've tried it on and off since its beginnings and i've i think until as of Two weeks ago, I really didn't like it. <laughs> there was one, but there was one thing two weeks ago that made me realize why so many people seem to like it is because I tried it on a laptop for the first time two weeks ago. And it, I found that its experience on a laptop is incredibly different to its experience on a desktop. Uh, and it's little things like, for example, the the entire UI seems to gravitate towards the top left-hand corner. You've got the Ubuntu button there. You've got the close, maximize, minimize buttons open there. And in fact, to really sort of administrate most of the, the, your sort of desktop environment, you don't really have to move your mouse outside of the top left quadrant of your screen that often. So when you've got a laptop with a trackable pad on it, it's you don't have to like swipe your hand across all over the place in order just to close a window, as well as having all those buttons on the left-hand side of the screen, which I'm, I'm surprised more distributions and more desktop environments haven't tried, is a lot more comfortable on touchpads because just to swipe left on on a touchpad on on the um uh, on a laptop is 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 quite a natural movement whereas curling your your index finger down to try and reach a start menu at the bottom of the screen it's just it's a little less natural and it's these little touches that i do think make unity really quite good but on a desktop i've never mar- i've just i don't know like uh, it's never, it's never sort of caught me on the desktop, but I can certainly see why people like it's really good on the on the touchpad thing. I know that's a real fifty fifty sitting on the fence answer. Though. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, I, I'm with you on the desktop thing. I just never, and I, 
actually tried to like make myself like, I'm, all right, I'm, you're going to use this for three days, mm. you know, and I just could not get into it, like you said. And then, but it's funny how people are continuing to discuss unity as it's, you know, slowly coming to an end. So, but, Rob, and I'm, I'm sure going, we'll, I'm going on my fifth day, man. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's so unity could have broken you from your distro hopping no, habits. No, definitely. Rocker. I'm going to be switching right after this. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, Chris, there's one thing that we can always all count on, and that is news in the Linux community. And, you know, so this week's no exception. Is there anything in particular? And we've got kind of a listing and a lineup that we go through. But is there anything in particular that um, that you caught right before you came on with us that you want to? discuss or share yeah uh speaking on the distro hopping kind of uh things i was spinning up um peppermint 8 in a virtual machine just before uh, i was uh, online with you guys and i gotta say i think that's i was i was surprised how much that distribution has come along since the last time i checked it out um they have actually brought down a lot of things from linux mint which I was quite surprised about because you don't see like, Linux Mint being, of course, based on Ubuntu, which is in turn based on Debian. So it's it's quite far removed, shall we say, from its roots. But um, but then you've got things like the um, Mint uh, Upgrader, which I think is like a really quite nice, intuitive um, system upgrader. It's got the Linux Mint Software Center, which maybe isn't the best one out there, but it's certainly certainly one of the better ones. And it's also got the uh, reviews down beneath the uh, software as well, which I actually think are quite useful because sometimes when you're thinking about, if, you know, if you're, if you're looking to solve a problem and you've got like three different choices of, of software, it's good to have that extra nudge in the right direction. And um, in the Softpedia article, it mentioned that it was the desktop environment was a heavily configured Mate desktop environment. But it also had the, which doesn't seem right. I think that might have been a mistake in the article. I think it's it mistaken. A, yeah, it's a mistake, I yeah. think, yeah. Because it had the whisker menu, and, and I've always liked the whisker menu. And because it, all you can, all you have to do is it suits mouses, at mice, and keyboard. Because you can just press the, the super key or the Windows key or whatever, uh, and then just search for what you want. Um, and it's really quick, really responsive. So, um, and it comes with a load of great themes as well, right out of the box. Good desktop backgrounds, really nice stylish ones. Um, you've got the Numix theme, Numix dark themes. You've got the Greybird theme from Linux Mint as well. So it does seem to marry the best of Lubuntu with Linux Mint in a lot of ways. And I think that 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 brings a very suitable distribution for a lot of different uses, I think. I think you're absolutely right. I recently did a review on it myself. And uh, I think you can, uh, back to the Linux Mint uh, portion of that, I believe you can install the X apps, the Mint X apps as well. And mm. I think think that desktop is a combination of LXDE and XFCE, I believe. Yeah. Uh, but because you've got the whisker menu in there and you've got the XFCE panel, you know, that you can configure. But I agree with you. I think they've done a very nice job with it. Yeah. It's, um, and also, of course, they've got the, the it's, it's more sort of cloud focused as well. So it's got, a, it's got that ICE, um, ICE program, yeah. hasn't it? So you can have... Um, because, you know, it's sort of all the rage nowadays to have Electron apps, <laughs> which is effectively just a Chromium browser with none of the gubbins around it, and you're just running a website. So ICE is like the answer to that, but doing it on a much smaller memory footprint in a much more, um, in a system designed much more for it. And I, I, I'd like to see that move, to, or that idea move to other distributions as well. I'm not, yeah. the, you know, I try and 
tend to personally prefer keeping things local. But when you are recommending Linux to other people and who are used to cloud services, it does help to have like a, uh, a lot of cards to play there. And it does help to have um, a system that does have, you know, a lot of cloud links, even if oh, it's yeah. uh, not suitable for yourself. Yeah. I'm well, and they've done a nice job. Go ahead, Rocco. No, go ahead. I was going to say they've done an exceptionally nice job with ICE, and uh, I found that it that the way they have things set up, it works better within their distro than others. Or if you set up ICE on your own, um, you got to be careful how you say that word with yeah. my southern draw. Well, I, just I was just that. wondering why you don't see ICE in other distributions. Like, why why is it so uncommon to see ICE in it? I don't know. Uh, because you can you can certainly install it. I mean, you can you can find it is you know uh, and install it. But um, but yeah, that's a good question. Well, Peppermint has some. Uh, it has the additional drivers as well. Uh, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. That allows you to install. So I installed the NVIDIA drivers, the uh, Wi-Fi drivers, Broadcom, and the Micro Intel code right away as soon as I installed it. And it also has you know you know me I like to customize. It has a in the settings section, it has a reset budgie or hit yeah, budgie reset default <laughs> panel, so that when you mess everything up, not that yep. you ever would, but when you mess anything up, you can hit the reset default panel and it'll put everything back. And that seemed important only because it comes with the whisker menu, but it comes with a customized whisker menu from Peppermint. So when you go to add another panel and you go to add the whisker menu again, you're not getting the same. You would have to go in and physically set it up again. It's not yeah. you're not uh, going to get yeah. the the the, def, the default peppermint menu when you add another whisker menu to it. So that seems like a good option to have is the default reset. Yeah, Chris, let me ask Mate. you this. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to uh, Ubuntu Mate have a very similar thing in their tweak uh, settings, don't they? Uh, which is something that I'm sh- I, I think I've done once or twice in my earlier days when you've just accidentally removed a panel and not knowing yeah. where to get it back. So just to have a quick reset is really helpful. I've never done that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Chris, I was going to ask you if you had, because I had this reaction with Peppermint, and it, it, it didn't surprise me because I'd run Peppermint 7. But one of the things, kind of a trend, um, is that a lot of distros are kind of going with that flat look, flat wallpapers, nothing wrong with that. But mm-hmm. as you hop, you see a lot of that. And then you install Peppermint, and it's the opposite of flat. You know, very bright, colorful. The wallpapers are some of the most gorgeous, professional-looking wallpapers I've ever seen. Yeah. Did you have that kind of same reaction? I mean, you're either going to like it or you're not, I think, you know. Yes. I I tend to have a very positive reaction to these kind of things because, to me, it shows um, a degree of, like, extra thought on, on behalf of the people putting it together. Um, you know, with, with myself personally, um, when, you know, if I'm setting up a secondary machine or what have you that I don't want to customize too much, just having a nice selection of wallpapers and maybe a dark and light, you know, theme switch or a flat and not flat version, uh, definitely make it quicker, easier just to get up and running the way that you like. I, I, that certainly is something that I look for. And, uh, and, uh, Peppermint had it in spades, which was, which was great. Um, you know, we, we always say that Linux is customizable, but if you have to um, go into um, package managers to, to get some of the best themes, I feel like you're kind of burying the lead a little bit. And having um, having a few nice themes out of the box is, to me, is definitely something that I, I like to see. But I, um, I think I remember on your uh, podcast with Wimpy not too long ago, 
he did mention that the themes can be a little bit big in terms of trying to get the file size down. So I I wouldn't know. Like I, there were quite a few in in Peppermint, weren't there? Yes. Like maybe a, yeah, a there dozen, were. about fifteen or so. So um, I don't know um, how much they had. You know how how much space they had to sacrifice for that. And I can't remember how big the ISO was. Wasn't it's about was it one point two gig? I think. Okay, yeah. So that would be in the ballpark of. That's quite. That's probably on the larger side, isn't it? I think they were able to get away with it, though, because since they have ICE integrated, if you recall, they don't even have LibreOffice installed. And then since they've got ICE set up, they I think what they would like for their users to do is to set up a lot of what they would use through the cloud with ICE as opposed yeah. to installing, pre-installing all of these applications. So, um, yeah, but that, yeah, so I I guess you would say that's a little bit over what you find most ISOs. It's 1.3 yeah. gigabytes. Okay. But uh, Farron OS is like 3 point something gigabytes. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, little... speaking, this is going to be off subject, but I, somebody recommended the other day, and I'm I'm not going to remember this uh, distro. It's, um, oh, what is it called? Uh, not Evolution. There is a distro that's like, if you went with the full version, it's like 11 gigs. Oh, oh, endless, uh, endless, OS. endless. Yes, endless. Yes. Um, yeah. No. I, th- that's that's a really that's a really promising distribution. Um, but the uh, that's sort of large by design because it has uh, it's all almost designed to be used um, f- from a machine not permanently connected to the internet. So it's got like wiki, like huge amounts of Wikipedia locally downloaded. Okay. But, um, the, it's a very interesting. I, I recommend giving that a spin in a virtual machine because um, it's just one of those distributions that has had this this vision that isn't just to be a standard desktop operating system, but to be something um, you know to have to, to to be more purposeful and more niche than that. And and endless, you know, the, it's, it's user friendly. It's surprisingly polished for a distribution that doesn't really get that much coverage. Um, I think you can even buy pretty reasonably priced machines with it on. Um, it runs a uh, customized GNOME 3 desktop. Um, and yeah, it's got a load of offline um, sort of applications that you would expect. It's almost like the opposite of um, Peppermint in a way. Okay. Yeah, well, I may be brave enough one day. That'll uh, <laughs> that'll take a while to download. You've got to be serious about trying that one out. Well, speaking of yeah. Peppermint, uh, who do you, both of you, who do you think that Peppermint is geared towards user base-wise? Hmm. See, this is a little bit of a tough one because is it geared for anyone that lit, so we shall we say Linux Mint Mate, for example, isn't already geared towards? Um, it, 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 you know, and, and then does it do that much that something like Linux um, Mint Mate wouldn't do? And then you start getting a lot of overlap there. So I, I, I don't necessarily know, you know, sort of really the answer to that question. Rob, what do you think? What Chris said. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take the easy way out. No, it is. It's listen, because we get that question quite often. Yep. And I'm sure you do on your channel, Chris. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's getting to a point now where that's becoming more and more difficult to answer. Yeah. Especially when you see uh, distros and and this could be a subject, a whole nother subject. um, When you see uh, distros that start to, that started off with one desktop environment and, and now, you know, they're adding various desktops to their distro as time goes and it starts to blur the lines a little more. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, 
And then you'll start to see the same tool sets being used more often from distro to distro. And again, that blurs the lines and it makes it more mm. difficult to say this is for a newbie. This is for, you know, experienced users, so on and so forth. Well, one of the reasons why I asked is because it, the one thing that I see it, look, it's a great distribution. It's fast. Uh, it's lightweight. The one thing that I saw that it was missing was a welcome screen. Yes, that's true. And that if, is true. Yeah. If you're not uh, a, an experienced user, and even for me, I it's been a long time since I run XFCE. So even I was like looking for certain control areas. Uh, I know they have changed around some of the controls where they in the Peppermint Control Center they have like uh, I guess I forget what it's called, look and feel uh, themes. I guess it's called, and where you can change the theme itself. But in order to change the actual window border you have to go into another area of the settings. Yeah. So in order to change the theme, you have to go into two different areas. So it would seem to me if you're a new newer user or even newer to XFCE, you would kind of expect or want a welcome screen. True, true. but on the flip side, they had the Peppermint Control Center where they put all of those settings in one location that were tabbed, a tabbed interface. And I thought that was really nice. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. for someone new, you got that one centralized location to go to and, and adjust everything. I, uh, I like what GNOME 3 have done on this count, which was to make it so that you really only need the GTK theme. And their, their desktop theme is sort of, it's a very neutral kind of theme. You can change it if you go into the, the tweak settings. But for the most part, you've got a pretty um, one-size-fits-all kind of theme for GNOME 3. And then you can just switch out the GTK theme for like a Vertex theme, Arc, uh, Numix. And then um, and it's, and then the, the system sort of all works together. Um, but it, it has always sort of irked me a little bit that because the window manager and the controls have always been separate in design, you're, there's always going to be that natural um, desire to separate them in the control settings as well. Um, so, uh, and it can be confusing, but um, uh, I think Marte do quite a good job at, at getting around that, I think, don't they? Yeah, I think they do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, while we're on the subject of desktops, have you been much of a Plasma 5 KDE user? Uh, yes, uh, I have done in the past. Uh, I'm quite familiar with the, the the Plasma 5, but I'm not familiar with some of the newer releases, but it does look pretty exciting. Well, you you just gave us a perfect lead-in, Rocco, if you want to kick us off with the, the well, news on KDE there. Exciting is KDE's middle name, you know, because they are <laughs> they they are a a leader in innovation in the Linux community. So their newest, uh, we talked about the beta last week, but it actually released, and it is 5.10. So it comes with multiple new features, including jump lists for the uh, file manager launches, launchers. So you can go to, when you click on the file manager in the launcher, it'll allow you to pop up a list to so you can go to your downloads, you can go to your pictures. Um, the big thing that everybody's talking about, which really isn't a big thing to me because I don't use it, is the folder view where you have a active desktop where you can have your icons. Do you guys use um, that? What do you prefer, an active desktop or a non-active desktop? Generally a non-active desktop, just sort of minimalist out of the way is, is, tends to be my preference. Rob? Agreed. I, yeah, typically it, it's non-active. 
I feel like I'm too much in a Windows environment when I see folders on the desktop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I go to the, I go to the family members' computers and there's all these folders on the desktop. I'm like, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> That's what, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Isn't that what it's for Rocco? Isn't that what it's for? I guess. <laughs> But anyway, um, they have a new feature along with the folder view for spring loading so that you can drag and drop icons. So if you have a document on your desktop, you can drag it to any folder that's there and it'll pop out a flyout window to show you all the folders inside that folder. And it'll continue on until you get to the folder that you want to and you just drop it there. And it's an easy way to move folders or move documents around. But uh, That's the, one, brilliant. the one thing I did notice, though, it was kind of like the icons are really big. So it was almost like it was blocking your view of the folders that were there. So I'm not sure. I, don't, I haven't tried it yet, so I don't know how it's actually going to work out. I just watched a video on it. So Yeah. The yeah. K-Runner, uh, I like the addition to K-Runners. You can search within the App Center from K-Runner now. So that's nice. That is yeah. awesome. I mean, because that that's available in Ubuntu GNOME, where if you start, <laughs> I'm just saying that if you start searching in the in the menu for something and it's not there, yep. it'll show you a, a listing for it in the uh, in the App Center. So that's a another a new added feature. Uh, they improved touchscreen support, so you have a virtual keyboard on the login screen, and you can also control the media player if you have if you're playing. Uh, music and you go to the it just goes to the lock screen you can actually change the song pause it or whatever you need to so chris i gotta ask you this because again your channel you get into some thoughtful discussion there and rocco and i were kind of talking about everything pre-show you know what's going on with kde and like man i've got to upgrade and try it and then (laughs) you know we always pull ourselves down into these rabbit holes you know when we're having these discussions (laughs) no and it came up that um yeah okay so kde that team is super active if you look at how many updates and everything they've had over the last year or let's say certainly six months do you think we're getting to a point now where people just become kind of complacent and it's not really that big a deal anymore that KDE's having these releases because you're seeing them so frequent or do you feel like no people are still super stoked that there's a new KDE, you know, update? Uh, I think that combined also with the fact that we've got like what, seven or eight major desktop environments now. So there's a, there's a lot of news to go around. I think there's still like uh, a focal point towards KDE and, uh, and whatnot. And I think the the real one to watch with this and near future releases is how it, how it works with Wayland. I think that's going to be the people are going to expect the likes of GNOME and KDE to work with Wayland out of the box, really, when it starts starts being shipped. And um, well, I mean they're working towards it. They've got a they've got a, a separate list here for um, high DPI and um, and trying to get feature parity with X11, which is good. Um, yeah, I've, I mean, I've always had a soft spot for KDE. Um, I've always quite liked it. But the thing about KDE and Plasma is about maybe once a year, once every other year, there'll be like one release where they drop the stability, won't they? Like, it'll just be like, you, you can't recommend it to anyone else. You can't, you know, because it, 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 it will be a feature release. And then, it, you know, so every, every now and then, I always find, which is, which is something with KDE. But it's kind of like Fedora, where they just went one step yes. too far. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was a big gamble for them to to run with Wayland. That was a big... I, I, I mean, they seem to have, have ridden it in their stride. Um, I don't think there's there's too many people that... Um, because I think if you if you're a big Nvidia fan, that's the thing. That's where Fedora tends to, in my experience, fall down with other distros. Is that its support for Nvidia is maybe not as good as Arch or um, or the Ubuntu distributions. So I think if you're um, running Fedora, you're probably running maybe some hardware that's geared towards that choice as well. You know, Intel graphics cards specifically. But um, but yeah, definitely nice to see Plasma and KDE working towards Wayland um, because I. I, I, I'm, start, I'm starting to get a bit, you know, I'm starting to dread the day, really, because Wayland, <laughs> like, whenever anyone explains anything about Wayland or XServer or anything like that, it, it, it loses, you know, like, it's so complicated and so, like, yes. there's, like, an extra, like, class of developer really needs to be, you know, this is, uh, this, this is stuff well, be, you know, well, well beyond my understanding. So uh, with something as complicated and, and intricate as that, I... We just want it to work, Chris. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And what you said is true because I've I've like sat down and I'm like, okay, I'm going to study about Wayland and find out really why everyone's wanting to move to Wayland. Why? Why do we have to make this move? And I'll get halfway through an article and then it's like I'm I'm like, okay, I've I've got to go read about a new desktop wallpaper over here because <laughs> this is way, way beyond. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the it's other like with the other. Uh, like, go ahead, Chris. Uh, I, I find that it's like, it's like that with video editing software as well. It's like when you know developers that involve with that like need to be so sort of expert as it were to actually be able to get that and i'm so glad that we're actually making strides in that area as well actually with a lot of thanks to kde itself because of course kden live was brought into the sort of the kde fold a year two years ago now mm-hmm. and um oh it's, it's it's grown so much since i started using it and i'm thankful that we have it because you know the other one that is well known as open shot that's it yeah and we just had last episode where you know they had updates that fixed all the bugs and then previously they had an, and i am not coming down on the developers here i love the work you're doing i can't wait to use OpenShot. but the previous release was to fix all the bugs and the release before that was to fix all of the bugs and every time i've used OpenShot, i have mm. such high hopes because they have some very good implementation i don't know if you've tried it recently but i got right in the middle of an edit chris and it crashed yeah yeah that's what's stopping me from using it as well at the moment yeah but um but yeah i mean i think uh, like i mean there was a day when kd uh kd and live was like that as well and yeah. i think to many other users it probably it might even still be because it's just such a complicated piece of software that re- that has to work so um so sort of sort of together with the hardware um that and and you know that's not even going into things like multi-threading and what have you which which are a stability nightmare to try and get working at the best of times yeah that um you know, hope and pray is is what I try and you know <laughs> because um, I mean the guys working on it, you know, the fantastic talent. Like it's it, oh, you yeah. know it's well beyond anything that I can even understand. Um, and I am incre- I, I remember the first video I think I edited for YouTube back in two thousand and ten. It it was I mean I managed to get th- you know put together maybe like a three minute video uh, of just various different B roll footage and what have you, but it took a while and there were a lot of crashes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm. Well, the last thing I want to mention on the KDE front is my favorite uh, part of the release of 5.10 is the audio volume switcher. 
So it's like it's buried in all of this, but it is so exciting to me to be able to switch the outputs right from the system tray. So before you had to go into, you had to click on the volume icon and go into the system sound settings and change it from there. But now you have a little hamburger menu that you can drop down and switch the output right from there, which is awesome. Rocco, I don't ever remember us discussing any of those issues yeah. with audio, man. I don't know what you're talking about We've here. We've never had audio <laughs> issues before, right? Chris, do you use uh, G Drive, Google Drive? No. I, um, I Over the past couple, well, I think I used to use InSync, um, yes. which is what I, um, but then I sort of, I'm trying to move away from the cloud more and more these days. So a lot of what I got now is backed up in, in local storage. Um, I still sort of use it if I need to transfer um, files, but I've never, I've never used G Drive. Um, is it good? Because I might consider it. <laughs> Well, it, it's okay. We use it because you can easily share documents and things through Google Drive. Mm-hmm. And so we use it for the podcast naturally. And um, especially on the documentation side, you could both be editing one document at the same time and, and that kind of thing. But the issue lies in if you want to sync that over. And like yourself, I've used InSync from the very beginning for the Google mm-hmm. Drive synchronization. And I found it to be really, really nicely done, uh, very mm-hmm. stable, never had an issue, but it's a paid for, um, yeah. application. So, uh, but now there's something new, uh, here with, um, the Keo G drive and I've never even tried it. Uh, but this will the main change is the integration since we were talking about plasma with, uh, K accounts. Rocco, is this anything you've tried? This isn't, this is, I tried it in other releases before, but it just okay. never seemed to work the right way. It never seemed to work. It never seemed to integrate like, say, in GNOME. You know, Drive yeah. integrates very good in GNOME. Uh, everything in your GNOME, your uh, Google account integrates in GNOME with everything. And yeah. I guess KD is working to get there, uh, you know, with this KIO drive, I don't even know. Do you, is that how you say it, KIO or Ke- Keo or whatever? Yeah. Uh, they have a new version. One point two is released. Um, One point two point zero, but it's it's integrated with the accounts. But I haven't tried it yet. But in the past, I've never had a whole lot of success with it. Yeah, and I think that's one area. We're going to be back on KDE here. Sorry, guys, but that's one area where I would love to see huge improvement. I know they're working on this, but. If you go in, you see all of this stuff that looks very modern within KDE, and then you open up the KDE PIM suite, and you just feel like you've rolled back 15 years, <laughs> and it's not tightly integrated, and there's no, like, the GNOME accounts, really, that really, truly pulls everything in. Uh, so that would be nice to see. Well, GNOME has it over KDE in that respect, in my opinion. So Yep. Yeah. All right, what's Absolutely. next? What do we got? Well, let's see here. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, this <laughs> this is definitely going to be a discussion, a desktop discussion, and that is XFCE. I'm going to jump down to that, Rocco, since we're on desktops. Okay. Uh, so there now there's a new uh, 4.14 aiming at full GTK3 porting. And that's an area where, you know, every time I – Every time in the past, I'd go to XFCE, and I just felt like, well, okay, it's kind of outdated. 
But recently, I did a couple of videos, Rocco, where I really gave it the time. Uh, you know, there's one thing to use it, and then there's one thing to really use it and go in and really spend the time and configuration and all of that. I love the Whisker menu. That's, to me, one of the best parts of mm. XFCE is the Whisker menu. And really had some fun exploring, setting up various panels and things like that. But I was so surprised to go back and see that the, the last update was a year ago. It's a far cry from uh, KD's pace and, and Gnome's pace, I can tell you. <laughs> exactly. Well, Chris, what, what have you done with XFCE? Do you spend much time with it other than just, you know, if yeah. it comes on a distro? Um, well, I, the last time I used it was when I was on Manjaro last year, and it certainly suits Manjaro because when you've got a rolling distribution and you're a little nervous about every upgrade, um, as, as generally pretty fine as they tend to go these days, is, is, you still get that feeling in the pit of your stomach. And XFCE is a sort of it's a nice um, juxtaposition to that because at least then you've got like a stable desktop environment on top of a system that keeps changing. But it is clearly um like it you know there hasn't hasn't there hasn't really been much change in the past like what 20 years of, of, of ui of it really <laughs> pretty much um, <laughs> i'm glad you said that Chris. <laughs> welcome to 1995 <laughs> yeah <laughs> but some people like that i mean I, I i think the you know windows 95 had a like in terms of just the on the ui side of things was a bit of a trailblazer and, and um, XFCE takes the best of that and uh, does bring it up to today's you know, standards to a degree, depending on who you ask. Um, I like it, but I can certainly see why some people might get uh, might consider it dated and get a bit frustrated and want something a bit shinier. Um, but it's uh, but you know slow and steady. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's always been my thing where I kind of like gravitate towards the newer or modern looking. Uh, distros or desktop environments, I should say. And I just can't get into XFCE. I just, I mean, I just can't. I mean, I tried. I mean, you can customize it. It's super customizable, super fast. Okay. There's no question about that. But when you look at it and you try to, you, you can customize it to a certain extent, but there's always that level where you want it to get to and it just can't get there. No theme can make it get there. It's the total UI the way it is. And it it's a great desktop environment for the people that like it. But beauty is subjective and it's just not mine. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what surprised me. And, and Chris, what you said about Manjaro. Well, first of all, Manjaro does a phenomenal job of taking XFCE and making it look as, I think, modern and current as possible with yeah. the way they've themed everything in. So when I did the first video, just kind of talking about my sudden discovery of some of the really highlights of XFCE. And, you know, again, I was playing around with panels and things. And I even said, all of you uh, experienced XFCE users are going to just laugh at this, but please laugh at my expense because you could set them up like widgets really. Mm -hmm. uh, but what surprised me was, all of the love for XFCE that came out in the comments in that video, more so than any other desktop video that I'd ever done before. I mean, it's yeah. like all of a sudden you just saw this wave of people coming in saying, finally, someone who's discovered how awesome <laughs> XFCE is. <laughs> so that was surprising. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it when, when it comes to XFCE is that it's got a, a surprisingly large number of just happy users that don't, 
you know i mean the the, the desktop environment itself to me is is very much it just gets out your way and and lets the program does its job and you can see that in a few things um, partly in terms of how it just tries to be as snappy and um and lightweight but also usable as possible um so i think a lot of the time people who are looking for a desktop environment like xfce are looking for a desktop environment that they don't have to have anything to do with almost so they're perhaps not likely to be as vocal because it's like yeah, it just it just works. Don't have to, you know. It's it's the the one that you don't have to think about. Whereas maybe yep. with KDE, yeah, there, there's new features coming in all the time, but it's maybe a, considered a little bit more of a moving target than XFCE. Because, I had a commenter who said it almost verbatim what you just said. They said, "Yeah, okay, so the updates are a year apart, but they don't have to do anything because it's so solid." Yeah, and it's like I um I've recently started driving a new car, and even though like ninety nine percent of all the stuff is in the same place, the, the wind, the um, you know the mirror adjuster and whatever, I don't like having to learn where those new buttons are. Like to me, it's a frustration because I'm not a cars person. But um, so when stuff is moved around in a in a new desktop environment, it doesn't bother me because I am a desktop environment kind of person. But I'd imagine maybe the reverse might, you know, could easily be the case with a lot of other people where um, UI changes are just the bane of a lot of people's existence. A lot of people I know sort of come out and say that directly. So if you could put on a, a desktop environment and a UI that you were pretty certain wasn't going to change dramatically over the next 10 years, I think XFCE is maybe the best place to look for something like that. I would agree. I, I would agree totally on that. I would agree that XFCE is probably going to look the same in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Send all hate mail to Rocco. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I think it's a great thing that they're going to port over to GTK3 because at least it'll be right in time for them to have GTK4. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm, no I'm, I think it's a great thing because you're going to have themes that currently don't work in XFCE, much better looking themes will be able to work and make the desktop look even that much better. So I think it's a great thing that they're moving over. Well, also, I don't want to make light of and, and, and forget that it's got a place with a system that's got fewer resources, older processor, because it is extremely light. Um, yeah. You know, so. Well, especially by that. today's standards, yeah. If yeah. you're going to put it on an older system, that would be the one that I would recommend. Yeah. You know, something yeah. that doesn't have a lot of resources, that would probably be the go-to one to uh, put Definitely on. Definitely so, yeah. All right. So did you guys hear about WP off, WPS Office? Yes. So earlier in the week, they tweeted out that they were going to halt their Linux development. And people were in an up. Now, this was like a just a – was one of those tweets that, you know – we just put that out there, and then it, everybody <laughs> hopped on it like, oh, my gosh. And I got on it. Well, I mean, I'm not a – do any of you guys use WPS Office? Yeah, actually, yeah, I'm a fan of WPS because of the uh, the way they've got the rib, their own ribbon and everything. It's just – it's like your muscle memory is naturally – if you've used Microsoft Office, it's like you can jump right over to WPS and know where everything is. It looks – judging from the screenshots, it looks near identical. It is, Chris. It's it's like if you copied over an icon pack from Windows or from Microsoft Office and placed it in there, um, it's it's pretty uncanny. Well, I th I'm not a hater of the ribbon. I know there's a lot of people that hate the ribbon. Okay, and wish it would just die. But I'm not a hater of the ribbon. <laughs> but I've just gotten so used to you know LibreOffice that I don't even. 
it, it's not a big thing in my life to have to have the ribbon. So I don't really use WPS Office. But thankfully for those people that do, they came out and corrected their statement from the tweet that they made. So they de actually deleted the original tweet that they were halting uh, Linux development. And they made a statement, and this is what it says here. Uh, WPS Office for Linux never has any plans to stop updating. WPS and all major domestic Linux vendors have maintained close cooperation and support all the mainstream domestic PC chips. And in this, and in April this year, just released for the latest version of the partners. So you can rest easy, Rob. They're going to well, continue. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it's true. I had probably three or four, uh, you know, channel viewers and everything who reached out to me and said, "Hey, did you hear about this?" Which I had not. So thank you all very much. Um, because, you know, I've made statements about how much I enjoyed using it. And some people have concerns because it's, you know, it's not totally open source. And, and I understand and respect that. Uh, but I wanted to kind of, I did uh, maybe two videos on it because one of the, the goals, and, and Chris, I don't, I don't know if you see it this way or not, but I feel like the more people we have using Linux operating systems, the better. And the reason behind that is that's going to uh, get the attention of uh, better developers or not better, no, terrible choice of words there, more <laughs> developers and developers of higher quality, more professional. Well, let's just say it paid apps or whatever mm -hmm. uh, to come and take a look and say, wait a minute, this user base has really grown. And so now we want to maybe port, application X or Y to Linux. So I feel like it's a good thing. So if you can help people transition from whatever they're using, Mac, Windows, and they come over and they really understand that, wait a minute, there are applications that allow you to do what you need to do within Linux, then that's good because it helps to grow the community. So that was my purpose behind sharing WPS Office because I, for one, that was one of the biggest things for me to overcome switching from Windows. The numerous times that I bounced back from Windows to Linux back and forth was because my, nothing was as good as Microsoft Office. And in the business world, let's face it, that's what you use. So Yeah. I mean, I've, I've personally, I don't think I even use word processing at all enough for this to have too much of an impact. But I, I'm sort of surprised that... We, we talk about LibreOffice and WPS Office as such big pieces as they are even today because, um, you know, you've got, like, the cloud competitors like Google Docs, and I'm sure you could probably get some kind of Microsoft Office package on the cloud as well. And when it comes to people who are maybe transitioning over to Linux from Windows, um, I, 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 I would think that they, you know, that, that would be the, the, the bridge that they'd want to use. Um, but I am completely unfamiliar with, with WPS Office. I certainly know that there are a lot of people who, you know, it certainly has, it has its corner. I, ha, is it um, free, as in um, gratis? It's free. Yeah, if you'll it's go free, to the yeah. Linux, there's, they have a separate page for Linux. You'll find a link there, and mm -hmm. you could download the deb file or an RPM, I believe, and it's free to use. Uh, but it's not 100% open source. And in fact, in part of the news, when I heard they were going to stop development, that they were going to totally open it up. Uh, mm. But now 
Which is, I guess, yeah. all, all of that's changed. Yeah. So <laughs> that's gone. <laughs> oh, did we say that? Oh my gosh! Yeah. No. We, well, so I suspect what ha- has happened here, guys, is that they probably got a much bigger reaction than they mm. expected. Yep. That's it. Yeah. And but, Chris, I would highly recommend you give it a shot. It, but you know, it sounds like you're not really using word processors or Excel spreadsheets often. So. But no, um, to be honest, most of my word processing is done in plain text. I'm not, okay. <laughs> you know, it's just like, um, that's generally the sort of, that's the, the, the level of use that I sort of require out of it. Um, but I'll certainly give it a look for, uh, for academic purposes because it, it looks polished. Um, and I've got it to is. say one thing, one thing about LibreOffice is that it does do the job quite well, but it doesn't dazzle. Um, it's and kind I think of the XFCE of, Writers. <laughs> That's a great way to put it, Rocco. Yeah. Well, I recently had some fun with LibreOffice because when I heard the news about WPS, I thought, all right, I better get better at LibreOffice. And uh, I was browsing through a couple of, um, of blogs and things like that. Anyway, so there's a pack. There's a Microsoft Office icon pack that totally ports over into LibreOffice and works great and makes every it looks like you're running microsoft office when you install this oh, thing wow. yeah yeah well chris are you a gamer yes nice i love it yes and i've been having the year of my life on linux now because <laughs> we've got there's been some, some great releases well uh fair, we talked about last week that uh dawn of war 3 will be coming out for mm. linux but uh they released a, co- a little bit more information on it that it will it will actually have support for OpenGL and Vulkan, which is Ooh. something that is definitely needed for development purposes. So this releases on June 8th. Um, have you ever played uh, any of the Dawn of Wars? Any of the Warhammer? No, the Dawn... No, I'm familiar with the franchise, but this is, uh, this is a new one to me. This is Dawn of War 3. Yep. Uh, so it's by Feral. They're quite good at Linux ports, aren't they? They are uh, an amazing company, man. Yeah, I'm just trying to think what else have they ported. But yeah, they've certainly this is this is not their first first port. So well, this yeah, is they've the been in the company. news a lot. Yeah, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Where uh, when Mesa, what is it, seventeen point one came out, or yeah, anyway, they like um, they offered to any developer that had made oh, I think it was five commits or, or some type of amount of commits to Mesa that they offered them a full their full library of Linux games. Oh wow. Yeah, That's I, awesome. Yeah. I I mean they're just an amazing company. That's all I can Chris say. Chris says I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> and the other news we got in the gaming area, we covered Middle Earth uh Shadow of War last week, but unfortunately it's been delayed. So this is the sequel to Shadow of Mordor, which is like one of my favorite games. And it has been delayed until October 10th. So Mm. I guess they want to put out the best game they can. And, you know, it's always that, you know, decision. Do you want to delay the game and put out a better game? Or do you want to have it on time and have so many people disappointed when it comes out? Because it's not exactly the way it's supposed to be. So what do you think? Is this a good decision? Generally speaking, I tend to agree with the push it back for a better product argument. I'm just trying to work out because they they pushed it back until October the 10th. So it might also be that that's the better sales month for them. Sometimes if, you know, they might 
Um, it's sort of in, it's in the run up to Christmas, but I think October is yeah. still quite a heavy retail month. Um, but again, yeah, this is um, this is fan- you know this is pretty fantastic news, isn't it? Um, Microsoft that are quite they're the guilty party when it comes to releasing stuff too early, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Does it just have bugs by design? <laughs> You're probably right there, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think yeah, that was certainly the thing. Uh, that was certainly the issue with Vista. I seem to remember. Um, yeah, the the gaming side of things is certainly, and Steam has helped. But that is one area that you. How many times you hear someone say, "I would move totally to Linux if I could play such and such game," you know? Yeah, I mean, with me, it was just. A number, you know, it just needed to have a decent selection, and and we're up to what two or three thousand games now. I'm not going to play two or three thousand games in my lifetime, and you know, may, maybe most of those are, are like shoddy mobile ports. But even even still, I, I've been playing Hitman, um, which is uh, Square Enix, and Square Enix have, have ported a few. I I love that game. That is an incredible. I mean, it's 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 very mature. Don't get me wrong, but like I mean, right. the the DLC and the um, you know, it is a full AAA game with all the bells and whistles that AAA games come with, and uh, one of my favorite franchises since since its beginning. And um, to be able to play it like on Linux is, a, I don't want to say it's a dream come true. That's probably uh, overstating it a little bit, but it certainly made um, happy know, birthday to Chris. Yeah, it certainly made a couple of weekends <laughs> for me. Yeah, well, it definitely and, makes um, it easier. And it's also, I think, the big thing we should take away from just valve being as successful as they are on linux is that it is possible to have a paid app store that works on linux uh because of course uh canonical i think even mark shuttleworth himself said that the ubuntu paid app store is just it's not work you know it just doesn't no one's buying apps from the ubuntu app store i think even brian lunduke who might have the most popular game on that is it uh linux tycoon or something even he he doesn't make that much money off of the um ubuntu software store but i can tell you myself i've i've thrown hundreds if not thousands of pounds at my steam library for linux alone so they've they cracked that you know that 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 particularly difficult shell that like you know no one ever thought you could you could sell you know apps for money on linux and and steam just they said yeah you can if you do it right you you know you make it available cross distro and you have a good easy to install client and you work with distributions themselves and you know you Build relationships. That's how we, you know, we do things in the open source world. And and Valve were very good with with uh, with working with with the, the Linux community. Um, and it, they did. They they made a paid app store um, that people are willing to spend good amounts of money at. And just that on its own, um, because now you can you can get um, a few non game apps there as well, even for Linux, certainly on Windows. So. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a video editor. Actually, um, Magic's video editor, unfortunately, it's only available on Windows. Uh, it does run in a virtual machine, though, um, which is actually quite good. So I tend to recommend you know, Windows users to use that one or people who have a pretty good virtual machine. But I think, yeah, I definitely think that's like a, a, a really important takeaway from the, from the entire gaming on Linux is that, yeah, like you, you can prove that Linux users you know, when a competent company steps forward, will pay, uh, you know, as much as anyone else, if not more, than, um, you know, for good software. And of course, there is that statistic, I hope it's still true, that Linux users are some of the more generous ones on the Humble Bundle when the right. Humble Indie Bundles go out. Yeah, so, And we've recently yeah. seen, too, where with Elementary OS, their latest release, where in their store now, it's a pay-what-you-want model, 
And I mm. really like the way they've set it up. I think they did an exceptionally good job of allowing a person to pay what they want uh, without cramming it down your throat or, you know, pushing it too hard. And the whole uh, setup of, of the way they integrated everything within the app center, I think they just did a phenomenal job there. When I first heard that news, I thought, well, this is going to be something that they're going to get pushback on. But it seems like the community really is starting to embrace it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I you know, I really want to see this kind of thing take off because I having, you know, paid developers, it'll keep them around for longer and it'll, you know, boost the community as well. And of course, the the big benefit uh for having the pay what you want model is that you don't have to sign up for a software account then. So you can download, you know, so because nowadays I just kind of feel that you have, you have to sign up for every little thing and it's more information that you're handing over, you know, and it's, it's going out and it's, you know, you're having less and less control of it as, as, as the more information that you're forced to give away through signups. That if you can actually pay a developer without actually having to hand over all your personal information, I think it's a great idea and something that I really hope and I'm sure the community will respond really positively towards. I think that's an excellent point. They were smart enough to not make you sign up through your Facebook account. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if only they would put PayPal in, that would be perfect. Yeah, now that would be a terrific. Yes, it would. PayPal would be great for sure. Now, Chris, you brought to our attention uh, some news on ad blocking and that kind of thing. Yes. So Google um, and Google Chrome um, are looking towards, I've got to try and find the right article here now. i uh, got quite a few up. Um, there we go. Uh, yeah, it's from the register. So Google to give six month six month warning for 2018 Chrome ad blocker ad blocker the ad block apocalypse. Yeah, but it's, they've done it in they've done it in one Easy word. for you to say. <laughs> so uh, yeah, effectively, Google want to build in an ad blocker into their software, and I think this is particularly noteworthy because, of course, Google is an ad selling company. So uh, what you're kind of uh, doing here is having the, um, uh, the uh, what's, what's the expression. Um, the, the, the fox, fox watching the hens. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. The, <laughs> you've got the fox watching the so hens. So why here. why uh, would a ad company that's built their whole revenue on ads why would they want to put an ad blocker in? Well, they say to block bad advertise uh, bad advertisements, and I, some of the things they appeal to are rational and reasonable. For example, no one likes ads that autoplay sound. That's that right. no one likes that there's not a per, you know um so um so so they sort of use these um common irritations that we all have to sort of say well we know what's better for you let's put in an algorithm what you want and let's take out what we think you don't want and regardless of intention you know they, they might be trying to squash advertising competition that might be you know um the more cynical way of looking at it but even if it isn't um it is still your browser telling you when you are surfing the internet, what you should see, what you shouldn't see at the, at the browser level at the point where you don't get to choose. Um, and then, of course, you add into the fact that Google do have a first-hand stake in this. And um, there are various uh, consumer bodies across the world. I think the United, uh, yeah, the EU's competition commissioner um, is, is keeping an eye out for it because it looks like shifty behavior. So, and I'm sure there are others. Um, or it certainly looks like um, 
anti-competitive behavior. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm sure there's certainly a thirst for, 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 for the mechanism there, but, uh, I have never, it's never sat comfortable with me that, um, uh, the idea just in general of algorithms deciding, you know, what you should watch or what you shouldn't. I've always been a fan yeah. of the good old RSS style of things of, of, of chronology, but, um, well, it's well, a good I, thing to block ads, in my opinion, as far as – okay, let me restate that. <laughs> it's a it, – the way they're doing it, they're, they're putting in a pay as – they're going to allow you to pay the, the publishers for ads and still block them. But they get to decide what – the problem is they get to decide what are the ads that you see and what are – offensive and what are not supposed to be there and that that's where i think the biggest problem is because i mean that's like a like you said a, a fox watching the hens you're going to trust i mean does anybody here really trust google i mean does trust no, and no. google go in the same sentence you know what i mean like it just no. doesn't so for them to be in control of blocking or saying what can be put through and what can't be just seems to be the wrong way to go about it well, certainly some of this has to come from, you know, the issues they had within YouTube. And you know that a lot of the feedback they were getting from the major advertisers who were saying, now, wait a minute, you've got to restructure things here. This is not working out the way we had intended where, um, you know, we're, we've got our ad and then followed up by that is something that's totally uh, uh, away from our thoughts and beliefs. And here's this ad popping up right after hours. And, you know, they had a lot of issues there and I'm sure some of this they're trying to, they're trying to almost it, to me, it looks like they're trying to feel their way through this. And unfortunately yeah. we'll be the ones who are left holding whatever process they decide to go through, you know? Well, what do you guys think about this last paragraph of this article where it says using your own ad blocker, you'll have to pay. So Google will also allow publishers to charge users who use ad blockers, hitting adblock plus plus maker IO where it hurts via funding choices, which will allow publishers to set a price per page view for ad blocking users, consumers to pay. So basically, what's that saying? Is that saying that uh, in order to view this page, you're going to have to pay? I mean, is that what that's, I th is seems... that even model going to even work? <laughs> It seems like they want to YouTube red the rest of the internet. Oh, so, that's a yeah, good point, Chris. Good point. So I think the theory behind it, so you pay Google and then for every page you view, they would dish out a small amount of ad revenue or something like that. Well, that seems to be the, the direction they kind of want to push it in, although it seems like an impossible challenge. Um, if that were the case, I, I wouldn't mind. Like I'd be happy to pay you know, like a, like a fee to, I'd rather it not be Google, maybe, you know, Mozilla. Perhaps. <laughs> and, 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 and then the, the ad blocking revenue would then go to um, other people. Ah, but actually we do, the Brave browser has um, a policy on ad blocking, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So what's it got? So there are three choices with the Brave browser. You can either not block ads, block ads, or replace the ads with Brave's ads, which will then give the money, uh, will split the money between Brave and the publisher, although how they do that, I don't know. Um, a lot of people don't like this because it's basically Brave stepping in and saying, 
scratch that we'll do everything on our terms and uh, again it is well it is censorship um but on the other hand you do get to pay, pay publishers without having to deal with advertising you know I, I personally i do kind of feel that we're just swarmed by advertising so much these days that the desire for everyone to get away from it's perfectly natural so um so i think like moving towards more uh paid for systems rather than having to rely on advertisers is definitely a, a good way forward but brave seem to be maybe perhaps too you know they're, they're, they're perhaps making the same mistake that google is here whereas they're being too aggressive in deciding what we want to see so okay so let's step step way back here i don't i can't recall how old google is stepping back but Stepping back, let's get into our Wayback Machine. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you a Doctor Who fan? Let's get into the uh, telephone booth. And <laughs> I like the, I watch the Christmas specials. <laughs> so Google is the company who taught us all that everything should be free. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Google is the company that has trained a generation that that's the way it all works. Okay, mm-hmm. and now partially or some of what I'm starting to just kind of mull around is now they're wanting to kind of turn that back some and say, well, maybe paying for things is, is a way to do this. Mm. Uh, But is it too late? I mean, you've already like opened the floodgates and people just think that this service should be free. And that's, you know, Mm. I come from the generation to where you had to go to the store and you had to pay gobs of money for something. And then you come home and install it and then you're disappointed Um, you know, games were the same way where you'd go and spend, you know, hard earned money on a game and then install it and find out things are broken or they have issues. And so was kind of used to that. Or am I stepping out on a limb here? Am I, am I off base? I don't know. I think that, um, Google themselves have, like you said, brought up people in the fact that everything or they offered free services, but now it's to the point where I guess that, well, one, you know, money talks, man. So they're a billion dollar company. So they want to continue this on. So they have accumulated all of these users for so many years. And now it's almost like if you try to de-Googleize, it's so hard. Not only is it so hard because everything's so integrated, but it's so hard because everything is just so easy. It's just yeah. easier to do it this way. And Too that's easy. The, yeah, and that's where I yep. think they have you where now they can charge. Now they can get away with charging because they know mm-hmm. 90% of the people are just going to just go with it because it's like it's too hard to de-googleize. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Although I think there is a possibility that there might be a slightly more sort of virtuous motivation behind it on Google's part. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, adpocalypse, which has sort of happened and has happened where uh, Google have decided that all these types of content, are, you know, it's inappropriate to make money off of. And a lot of people have had a lot of advertise, uh, advertising revenue basically slashed now. Um, and a lot of advertisers have just pulled out of Google uh, or pulled out of YouTube altogether. Um However, I saw um, some interesting polling data to suggest. I'm putting my um, tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. (laughs) I don't have a hat to put on. So so retail has actually been on a downward trend um, since the end of 2016. And it was actually a very disappointing Christmas for for a lot of the retail industry. Um, And it's been going down quite a lot at the beginning, beginning of 2017. 
which means that retailers are probably a bit more strapped for cash than they would otherwise be. So they decide to collectively kick up this fuss about uh, inappropriate advertising on YouTube. Um, they can then sort of afford to boycott it because retail is quite low, so they're going to be losing the least at this point in time. They then pressure Google and YouTube to lower the cost of online advertising and then just pick up the ads when they're half the price in a couple of months' time in the run-up for Christmas. So what Google, and Google might be wise to this. So they're saying, well, it's a much safer model to bring in things like YouTube Red and subscription fees so that we don't have to rely on these kind of shit, you know, uh, tactics that advertisers pull. Um, but like I say, it's, it's only um, a pie in the sky kind of theory, but it, I, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past the mechanics of the situation for that to, to happen. What you just stated is to me, uh, I don't even think that's tenfold hat level. That sounds very, very possible actually. Yeah. Well, well I am a YouTube red uh, subscriber and that's because I, I really don't want to see ads every time I play a video or play a music song because I use Google Play Music for my music player, uh, 99% of where I'm at. So I think it's a, I, I don't mind paying the money to not have the ads there. So it's a, it's a I guess it's a okay idea. I just don't think that giving Google that kind of control is and I don't think we're giving it to them. I think they're taking it. <laughs> yeah. But uh I don't think that having them having that kind of control is a wise thing to do. So is the the brave route providing it works as advertised be sort of more acceptable which is similar but not Google. Well, it depends on how they uh I guess how they implement who they're giving the money to. Like yeah. I I haven't seen anything like to say, well this is how we're going to structure it. This is how much this person gets or or who gets this. What what mm -hmm. advertiser or what publisher gets this money. So once that comes out, uh it may be a uh, alternative. I know I've tried the Brave browser before and it wasn't quite ready yet. But I mm -hmm. just installed it on a family member's computer, my dad's computer, today, and it looks pretty promising. So, yeah, I, I tried it out today. I I do like it. It is built on Chromium, if I'm not mistaken. It is. So there is that common code, which is both a good a good thing and a bad thing. It's a bad thing if you want to get as far from Google as possible, but the underlying code is actually really good. So you know. <laughs> so. Um, I, the thing I really like about it is that it's very easy to turn on and off JavaScript. And I, th I think this is possibly going to play a much bigger um, or become a much more requested feature in a lot of uh, browsers going forward into the next few years is just maybe a, a single button that turns on and off JavaScript for different pages because, you know, we're seeing websites take longer and longer to load, advertising become more and more intrusive. Um and even like small websites that just have um, responsive JavaScript menus, it just a lot of it, uh, to me at least, it feels just too much, too much JavaScript, too much Flash for what you really want is, is, is a basic website. And I see this across so many websites online that I think nowadays, uh, I think that a future trend could just be to have JavaScript off by default, just to have a smoother, faster, um, more straightforward browsing experience and then um with websites like youtube that obviously require javascript you'd have a, an opt-in button um and you solve like a whole 
um, load of problems all at once with that kind of opt-in attitude for JavaScript because you know, there's security, um, you know, any kind of key logging or tracking or anything like that, it just can't be done. Whenever I see um, a hack that's done through a website, it, I, I will always, it'll always say somewhere in the article that it's done, done through JavaScript or Java or some mm-hmm. kind of plugin. Mm-hmm. So if you can minimize those weak points, um, you've, you've got a rock. You know, if you, if you browse the internet without JavaScript, you're about as uh, you know, secure as you can possibly be, really. Everything else is just sort of gaps in the armor. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that's a key part of if Brave is going to try to get this model off the ground, the key part is, is the browser has to be good. It has to be something that people want to use. Hmm. Otherwise, it'll die on the right. vine because there's no user base. Well, I know that there's no um, general wide selection of extensions. There's like, I think, five or six that come with it. Um, but there's no there's no extensions. But it it's a for a minimal browser it really is looking pretty good and you know chris you had said about the like the minimal look of all you really want is the page that you want to go to and isn't that why mm. firefox builds in like the uh reader view so that you can yeah. just click the button and just get what you want to get to which is just the article or whatever you want to see and th- and that's the concept so i don't mm. know i think it's a upcoming uh promising thing yeah well, guys, this this gets us down to a story I'm looking forward to discussing with Chris. Um, plus, we're we're uh, coming up on uh, I don't know how late it is there for you now, Chris. So we don't want to keep you too late. Uh, but uh, that's on an article here on the eleven uh, reasons to use the. And Chris, do you say GNOME or GNOME? Oh, uh, that is a difficult question. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I have started saying gnome but i have said gnome and uh, i may say gnome in the future again sorry the worst possible answer to that question no Um, no no it's okay i do the same i do the same but my my rationale for saying gnome is that even though it's supposed to be a hard g because it stands uh for for a hard g what's the first yeah. I forget what the first thing, uh, first initialism for GNOME is. But um, that isn't like necessarily true, because if that was the case, we'd be saying laser instead of laser, or I don't know what scuba would be. Right, right. Um, so I, I've, I've always sort of... <laughs> so it's a self-contained underwater breathing apparatus, so I don't... Yeah. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I just started saying GNOME because I think the English would support that, but... Well, anytime I'll do a video, I say both. And I started saying GNOME early on because if you go to the GNOME website or the GNOME website, they'll say GNOME, new in GNOME 3. And I thought, okay, that's the proper way to say it. And um, at any rate, not to get hung up on the name, but uh, (laughs) the the article is uh, 11 reasons to use the GNOME desktop. Now, Next question, obviously, is have you spent much time with the more recent version of the GNOME desktop? Yes, uh, it was the desktop that I'm using before using Ubuntu Mate. And it took me a while to warm up to it, but I I think it's brilliant. Uh, It is a bit resource heavy. It is significant. You know, the the resource (laughs) use is something you do have to plan for. But outside of that, love it. Absolutely love it. The thing I like about it, and I, I think this is the thing I always lead with, but the idea that you can just move your mouse to the top left-hand corner of the screen and have everything you need on display 
is is perfect, uh, including the windows. When you can actually see a miniature version of the window, it's so much more intuitive to click on than a written description in the bottom of a taskbar. So even like I even like vanilla now. So um, yes, I, I spent like a, a lot of time with it. It's coming on brilliantly as far as I'm concerned. I can't sing its praises highly enough, really. Um, but I certainly know that it is uh, the opinion is divided on the subject when it comes to these kind of paradigms. I would venture to say it's probably the most divisive desktop going now because you had, it was such a dramatic change from version two to three. You had a lot of people who just kind of jumped ship and were up in arms over it. I personally am being more and more drawn to it. And one of the things and Rocco in just a minute, if we can, we'll pop through those 11 because Mm -hmm. we don't want to skip over the article. But one of the big outstanding things for me was when I really started to discover and get into extensions. And now we have extensions that are super high quality and so far for me have been extremely stable extensions, more so than the spices within the cinnamon desktop. And these extensions have allowed for someone who loves to get in and tweak and mess with things and change things. It's like a candy store, Chris. Um, And you can really make the GNOME desktop just about any way you want to make it, set it up any way you want to set it up uh, with using those extensions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the the extensions are pretty good. I, I liked, I very much liked that when Ubuntu made the switch they they sent out that review didn't they on omg ubuntu Mm -hmm. not the review um that survey um where people could then vote on all the different um uh, third-party extensions to include and some of them you know it looked promising that um their their shortlist for selections you know for like uh, top icons across the top i think that's a particularly important one because I got to say, yeah, the the big the big issue with vanilla gnome is what? Why did they put the system icons in the bottom left hand corner in an uh, an auto display thing? That seems. I think uh, there's more than that issues with vanilla gnome. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I am. I'm sorry. I'm not. No, but you you hit the nail on the head with that one. That lower left thing is so out of place. Mm. It it seems like an afterthought. Well, Chris, almost like the. Go ahead. It's, it's almost like if they didn't intend you to have notification icons at all, and I think there might have they might have possibly considered that that rather than instead of minimizing something to tray, they want applications to minimize to the panel on the left hand side. So I think they they may have in their mind rationalized it so that you would you wouldn't need system icons, but obviously because people use lots of different software, that 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 was always going to be a no go. I, 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 I'm trying to rationalize what was a really odd UI choice, though. So, <laughs> well, well, if we're listening, have... keep going, please. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you have the time, Chris, we're going to go through these 11 reasons. Are you good on time? Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, I got back. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I got back another 20, 30 minutes. All right. So, um, the first one, and this article is from opensource.com from a guy named David Both, Both, I guess his name is. And he talks about GNOME, and then he gives us 11 reasons for using it. So the first one is choice, because GNOME is available in many forms, uh, from Fedora on down, no, no matter which uh, envi- or, uh, distro you're using, you, you basically have access to a GNOME environment. So that is one. What do you think? Is that a reason to use GNOME? Because of the choice? Uh... I don't know if that would be my number one reason. Yeah, I, I, I think that's 
because you can say that just about every desktop. Pretty much. Yeah. In fact, I, I would say that one of the what, a bonus point is that it doesn't overwhelm you with choice. It, with um, the likes of XFCE and Mate, there is so much you can customize and so much of the micro detail that you can change that I'd imagine to some new users or unfamiliar users, it might be a little bit off-putting or getting in the way. Whereas with GNOME, they give you a decent set. I think vanilla GNOME works quite well out of the box. I know that some people do call it unusable. Um, I'm one of those. But I, <laughs> <laughs> but I do. Um, yeah, I, th- I think the fact that it does have a standardized out of the box experience is probably more of a, a bonus. But Well, the next one on the list is the getting started mm-hmm. tutorial. And that one, okay, it's nice to see that, I mean, there was effort put into the getting started tutorial and it's a nice tutorial, don't get me wrong. But I just don't, I can't, uh, that would be lower on the list for me as far as, because really with with the desktop itself, I think it's almost so easy to discover with mm. the exception of, okay, when you go up in the left-hand corner, but once you see that and you realize what it is, there's not a lot of learning curve there. No. Um, you can just basically I, press the, the Windows key and start typing almost anything related to the application. You can type internet yeah. and your browsers will come up. So it's, yeah, it's incredibly intuitive. So, yeah, I think that should be on the list, but I wouldn't put it very high on my list of reasons, I guess is what I would say. Yeah, I mean, I guess with the Switch, with Ubuntu switching to GNOME, you have people that are used to Unity and maybe the tutorial is good for them to see so that they can, you know, get a feel for it. But mm. for anybody that's seen it before, it's kind of, it definitely wouldn't be as number two on the list, I can tell you that. <laughs> Although I suppose we're probably the, the the worst group of people to sort of appraise that because we're yes. the ones that would need it the least. Yeah. Very true. Yeah, we're we're looking through different our own uh, rose-colored glasses, I guess. <laughs> All right, Chris, you got number three? Uh, clean desktop with a minimalist approach to a desktop environment in order to reduce clutter gnome is designed to present only the minimum necessary uh, the minimum necessary to have a functional environment you should see only the top bar yes that's what it's called <laughs> and all else is hidden until needed the intention is to allow the user to focus on the task at hand and to minimize distractions caused by other stuff on the desktop hmm well i mean i like the minimalist approach i do like that uh, I do like the reducing of clutter, and that is something that GNOME is noted for: is reducing clutter. Uh, you know, sometimes too much. You know, sometimes they remove things that uh, I think should be there. But yeah, I, I just again, I think I would rate these a little bit differently as far as the placement of them. But I definitely think that uh, a clean desktop is a good feature about GNOME. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's certainly. I think it's certainly worth being on the list, and it's one of the things that. Every time I come from another desktop environment and go back into GNOME that I do appreciate, Um, you know, along with the fact that when you apply a GTK theme within the GNOME desktop, it applies better. I, in my opinion, it applies better throughout the UI and the desktop environment better than any other desktop today. Mm. Uh, And I know KDE is working hard on that, but it just seems like it's a, it's a, it's an, it's not an issue you don't find as many weird spa- places where the theme did not apply correctly. Uh, that is true, yeah. All right, number four is the top bar. 
uh, I guess that's, I mean, really never called it the top bar, but I guess that is what it's called. So um, it's always the place to start, no matter what you want to do. You can launch applications, log out, power off. Somehow I don't know if this guy has run other Linux desktop environments before. <laughs> uh, this uh. makes life simple when you want to do anything aside from the current application. Uh, so basically, his, his number four reason is the fact that it's a top panel and it's got everything you need. And granted, unless it, you want system notification icons, right? right. <laughs> or or unless you want to pin shortcuts to favorite applications to it. Yeah, you can't do that. No, you can't. You can't do that. Sorry. See, see I would almost dip now. Granted, okay. So you mentioned the activities where you can just hover your mouse up and everything's there. Granted, that's a very important part of it but as far as i'm concerned the rest of it is more of a hindrance for for the way i would want to set it up and use it i would i would say that it's it's a negative uh other than the activities corner because there's nothing really else that you can do with it without uh bringing in the extensions um you can't resize it you can't move it um and you can't see your system tray icons. <laughs> yeah, so. And actually, it, I'm surprised there isn't a tweak or something like that to actually um, make it only appear on the dashboard. Because then you could have a very minimalist desktop if, if effectively having it auto hide. Um, I mean, I, it does take up some, you know, it, it's not an insignificant amount of space that it does take up. I know with GTK3 client side decorations, they make a somewhat better use of the space but um yeah i'm surprised that hasn't uh, hasn't sort of made it in as some kind of feature through a third-party ad or oh, maybe uh, maybe if i sort of if, if, if you, if but you, you could the, you could uh, install a panel or excuse me a um an extension called dash to panel and it will make the top panel just completely go away and everything oh. incorporates into the dash to panel extension down at the bottom. Ah, cool. Down at the bottom. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Right, so uh, next up five, on the list. Rob. Yep. Number five here. Next up on the list, the dash. So the dash contains three icons by default. And I'm going to argue with that one. That's going to depend on the distribution that you're running the GNOME desktop on. Sometimes you'll see four or five icons in place. Uh, but as you start using applications, they are added to the dash so that your most frequently used applications are displayed there. You can also add application icons to the dash from the application viewer. Uh, so what are your thoughts there on the dash being included in this list, Chris? Yeah, that, that would be in my list as well. I, th I think the dashboard is, is, the, is, the, is the lead here. Um, just the, the ability to see everything that you're doing in one screen, I think, works really well. Um, it's some, because I mean, you, you, the menu system works. Um, I don't have a problem with that, it, you know, but, um, but for new users and for, you know, if you, and, and, and for just managing lots of different applications, like if you've got like 10, 11, maybe 15 windows open, managing them off a taskbar is impossible, but managing them from a dashboard so much more easier when you've got a preview of them across. And, yeah. I do make good use of frequently, you know, the frequently used applications menu. It's the one when I set up XFCE, I usually set it up to have frequently used applications to be the thing that um, the first thing when I click the whisker menu. So, yeah, I got to say, yeah, this would be, this would be my, my number one, I think. 
And Rocco, you like the dash as well. And the- I do. I like the dash. I like the full screen option. I think the only thing that uh, it would be missing, like you, Chris, you said there's everything in one place, and there is, except for the power options. The power oh, yes. options are still in the top panel. I think if there was an extension to incorporate the power options into the dash somewhere, maybe like on the right-hand side or something, you know, you yeah. would have access to pretty much everything that you need. So I, I like it. Well, what's next on the list? Application viewer. Um, right. Okay. Shall I do this one? Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. I really like the application viewer that is accessible from the vertical bar on the left-hand side of the GNOME desktop above. The GNOME desktop normally has nothing on it unless there is a running program, so you must click on the activity section of the top bar. Uh, Clicking on the square consists of nine dots at the bottom of the dash, which is the icon for the viewer. Um, I'd go with the search I you know um, I think this one this one might actually possibly be on uh, would be on my negative list of how they've actually uh, listed out all the pro- having them in just one big voom is it is too much. Um, the search feature is great, and if it wasn't there, the the, the entire desktop would be a disaster. Right, but, right. Um, yeah, if if you're going through one folder of shortcuts, which is effectively what it is. Um, I, you're not going to have a good time. Although I will say one thing for it, which is that you can the they have the bulleted scroll bar. Yes. So you click on uh, screens that go down. I really like that, uh, and I think that would work particularly well, maybe on touch screens. Or no, a swipe would work better on touch screens. I think. But yeah, that's that's something I do like about it. But I got, yeah, I got to say, I've, like I, that was a big step back. I would have liked to have seen maybe a bit more of an intuitive way to navigate applications that you perhaps know are installed. But um, Well, I think as far as full screen launchers go, it's probably the best one out there out of all the desktop yeah. environments. Uh, the icons, people complain about the icons being really big, and they are. They're huge. They are. I mean? Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I still like the dash. I mean, I still like the whole dashboard full screen menu. Mm-hmm. I still love it. So, And it does look nice. Uh, and, you know, it's something that can easily be overlooked by, by sort of power users or experienced users or people that have been using a desktop for a while. But if this is your first impression onto a, a Linux desktop, it looks professional. It looks polished. It looks like it was put together by people that know what they're doing. Yes, so, it does. Yes, it yeah. does. Okay. So uh, number seven is application-ready notifications. So GNOME has a neat notifier that appears at the top of the screen when a window for a newly launched app is open and ready. Simply click on the notification to switch to that window. So this is a time saver. What do you think? Time saver or not? Yes, but it's not groundbreaking or anything. I mean, it's it, and it's done well, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It does what it's supposed to do. Again, I don't know if that would be on my list of top reasons to use GNOME. Mm. Just saying. Moving on, well, Rob. <laughs> okay, maybe number eight is then, Rocco. So application display. In order to access a different running application that is not visible, you click on the activity menu. And this displays all of the running applications in a matrix on the desktop. Click on the desired application to bring it to the foreground. Although the current application is displayed in the top bar, other running applications are not. So I don't really use it that way. Um, but I think if that's, if you're using 
um, if you are using GNOME in its pure, simplest form, in its default form, that would be, I think, valuable and should be included on the list for sure. Yeah. This is this is certainly something that I, I really do like about it. Just the, the sort of the, the way that it just grids up all your applications for you. Right. All right. Um, what's next? Well, Chris, if you're up there for number nine. Mm-hmm. Minimal window decorations. Open windows on the desktop are also quite simple. The only button apparent on the title bar is the X button to close a window. All other functions such as minimize, maximize, move to another desktop and so on are accessible with a right click on the title bar. I like that. (laughs) That falls back to the keeping it clean, simple interface, I think. Yeah. That's that's the first thing I change out of the, the GNOME tweak tool. What do you, um, you put them on the right? Uh, I put them on the right, um, but I'd, I'd stick on minimize and maximize as well. Because um, is I is this just habits sort of taking over now? Um, yeah. I don't know. I mm, well, let me ask you this, Chris: Do you feel like you've given it a fair enough chance, or do you just automatically go in and put it there and move on? Or I put it there and move on. Okay. Um, so I might have to, yeah, I might have to go back and rethink this. Because and the re- it, here's why I ask you that question, because like you, I would put the minimize, maximize and everything up there and move on. But last time I used it, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just try to get used to the way Gnome is doing it. And I have found that now I'm starting to come around and I've given it enough time to where now I just so nah, okay, I'll just move on up. And so the last time I totally skipped adding that, and it was okay. Do you know where the problem lies? Where? It's that evil Microsoft that has encoded <laughs> into all of us that the button should be on the right. <laughs> I, I like that better than what I was going to say, Rocco, is, is that perhaps I'm becoming an old dog. And learning new tricks, I you know I don't want to be that old of a dog to where I cannot use learn new tricks. So I'm making myself learn new tricks. So I I think I'm going to have to try this because in my mind, what it's done is that it's just made it so that you have to click two buttons to minimize and maximize, which isn't entirely true then, because. Uh, to maximize, I don't even press the maximize button to maximize windows in a, in a Mate desktop. I do, either double click the, the yes. bar at the top or I drag it to the bar at the top. So that's one button that I don't need. So we're already a third of the way there. Um, do I minimize when I can just stick another window on time? Yeah, okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm starting to see why it might, you know, why, 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 why I could get by with it, I guess. It's, Normally... it's, it's something I've. Normally, when I set up my desktop, I will go into Decomp Editor and I will, if it's not, I will put the close on the left and I will put a minimize on the right. That's the way I like it. And I will do the same as you and double click if I want to maximize. But I have a minimize button and I have a close button. That's all I need. You know what I love, guys? I love the fact that we here we are, three totally different people in three different areas and we can set it up the way we like. Yeah, that's right. It's not a Mac. It's not a Mac where they say, no, this is the way you're going to do it. You're going to love this. We know better. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we all, and this is a small thing. It really is. But it's a small thing that we all 
uh, have a certain way and we take the time to adjust that when we're using the operating system. Yep. Yeah. And this is the only, uh, this is the only operating system that allows you to do this naturally without having to purchase something that goes in and allows you to tweak it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's more than just the the, the the actual software itself. It's the ethos behind building it. It's the idea of having choice built in rather than, um, say, you know, Microsoft and Mac, where it's getting the user to mold around their workflow that they've designed. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's that kind of, it's, it's the attitude in the community that, that shares that attitude that sort of keep me here as a comfortable member, knowing that I've, you know, so it's sort of found a software home, as it were, um, and 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 you know as opposed to being a consumer you know with with linux and and and, and bsd and Spires and all that kind of stuff to me i when you learn how to use these things and you learn how it works you're learning how computers work whereas when you're learning microsoft and, and mac os you're really just learning how a product works you're getting good at being you know you're be, being very good at being able to use a product whereas uh, you know on, on the sort of the linux side of things with all the desktops with all, all the software you're really learning something I feel that's a bit more fundamental and vocational. Well said. Absolutely. Well said. Rocker, are you up next? Yep. Uh, new desktops are automatically created. So new empty desktops created automatically when the next one, when the next empty one down is used. So I don't know about you guys, but I don't use multiple desktops. Do you? Very rarely. Rarely. So, I've certainly never used all four that you sort of you get out of the box on some desktop environments. <laughs> two, 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 maybe on a very rare occasion, a third. But to the GNOME desktop credit, I will say that because it does everything kind of automatically, I've never even had to give it any thought when I mm. use it because it kind of stays out of the way. If you're not using it, you don't even know that that's really there until you hit and see everything, and then you'll see it over on the right. You're right, though, Rob. I really never took the notice of that, but you're right. It does stay out of the way. You don't know. They don't put like this big switcher on the panel anywhere where you, you know, right. where I remove it as soon as I install an environment. Uh, but it stays out of the way, and you don't even notice it. Do you make I a notice? yuck sound while you're doing that? Like <laughs> yuck? What's this doing here? <laughs> and and they're big as well. It's, it's a good size, so you can identify each desktop. So you yeah. kind of get the best the, the best of all worlds from that. So because you, you know with with Mate and XFC and the, the panel based dis, um, desktop environments, you do have a little little window there where you see you de- you, the, to identify the desktops. So with uh, with with GNOME, it's again it's a more visual um, experience, more visual sort of how you interact with it rather than text and labels and right. tooltips and that kind of thing. Well, number 11, compatibility. As with all of the other desktops I have used, applications created for other desktops will work correctly on GNOME. This is one of the features that has made it possible for me to test all of these desktops so that I can write about them. So, uh, I guess, yeah, okay. I I can't say that I've used typically when I'm in the GNOME desktop myself, I focus in on with the exception of say Caden live. Okay. Which I must use as my video editor. Most of the other apps are all GTK based apps that I'm using um, within the GNOME desktop. I haven't pulled in a lot of what I'll say foreign applications uh, to use within the desktop 
or to use within the yeah to use within the desktop. Yeah, I agree. Um, I've done a few. I've got. I, I think this is actually one of its bigger pluses. Um, I use a number of KDE apps, um, and I've not had a. I don't think I've ever had a big problem with it. Uh, I've had you get the occasional issues with the others, but I think nowadays across the board we're pretty good at making Qt apps look nice on GTK environments and vice versa. Um, but the fact that I regularly use Qt and KDE based apps without a problem on GNOME is, you know, it's, it's definitely a benefit. Well, you know what's happened, guys. As we've gone through this list, um, I'm probably going to wind up. Reloading something with no money over the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you a question. We went through this list, and to me, there's one glaring thing that's just not listed here in any of the real reasons to run GNOME, and that's extensions. Amen. Yep. I mean, I think extensions is what makes GNOME. And I, you know, I know, uh, you know, Chris, you like the vanilla GNOME, but I, to me, mm-hmm. it's what makes GNOME usable is the extensions, because now I can customize it to whatever I want it to be. And mm-hmm. you know, with the decision to go with Ubuntu Canonical going with GNOME, everybody was, you know, how's it going to look? I mean, I said, what are, what extensions are they going to use? What extensions are they going to have? And that's when that you know, survey came out, and. I just think that that would be my number one reason for using them. I'm right there with you, Rocco. In fact, I would go so far to say when I use GNOME, I'm actually on a quest to find new hmm. extensions. Had to work that one in there somehow. A GNOME I'm quest. quest. <laughs> a GNOME quest. <laughs> to seek out those new extensions. It's, it's more of a uh, discovery process almost. And, so far, I've managed to get through a lot of new extensions without breaking things, too, which is surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that they could go both ways easily. You yeah. know, uh, mm-hmm. I think I had one extension that I turned on and it caused some issues, recent memory and, um, you know, did a reboot and it was, was able to remove it. So, so far, nothing catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Is there an extension, Chris, that you use that you have to have, or you're still okay with vanilla now? Uh, well, when I say when I say vanilla, I don't mean all the way vanilla. <laughs> I just, I just, okay. I, uh, you put some sprinkles on there, Chris. Or you- <laughs> yeah, uh, um, I'm looking forward to the the redshift, not the redshift, the um, temperature, the color temperature. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's something that I've only started using um, color temperature modifiers recently, but they are great. They're fa- absolutely fantastic. Um, just so much easier on the eyes when I'm reading large screens of, of, of white text. So having that built in is certainly something that, or not built in, but uh, available is something that I'm uh, quite fond of. I don't know if that it has. It, it wasn't released last time I was I was on GNOME. I will certainly be checking out the Ubuntu GNOME and seventeen ten though, because what they do with that is going to be. I mean, it's 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 anyone's game because there was like the last few editions of Ubuntu um, clearly, uh, you know, were making strides towards making Lin- um, Linux and Ubuntu sort of accessible for everyone. But the last few Mark Shuttleworth interviews and and the sort of the gossip and the murmurings that I've heard sort of indicate that Ubuntu might be moving towards the developer market more specifically. And therefore opens up the market for what a user-friendly distribution um, 
you know, what, what would be the user-friendly distribution? Could it be Elementary, Linux Mint, Ubuntu Mate? Um, so that would certainly be... Um, uh, that was, yeah, certainly be quite interesting to, to see how that goes. Um, I can't think of any other extensions off the top of my head. I, I, oh, yeah, the um, no, getting rid of the notification icons in the bottom left-hand screen. I yes. I, I, idea was that. <laughs> top Icons Plus. Uh, top let, Icons let's Plus, give a, Let's give a shout-out to the developer of Top Icons Plus because that one does take that what-were-you-thinking <laughs> tray down at the lower left and yeah. put it where we all would probably agree it should be. So, yeah, uh, great extension there for sure. Well, Chris, I think we'll have to go back and look, but you may have just beaten Ike Darty for the longest destination Linux <laughs> podcast. <laughs> thank you. So have. we thank you very much for all this time. Uh, well, and, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure to be here. We listen. I was very much looking forward to this because I've been a big fan of your channel for some time. Oh, thanks. and yeah, absolutely enjoy. Well, as we talked about in the opening. I enjoy the grown-up level that your channel offers, and I've learned a lot because when you go in and uh, start reading the comments and read the dialogue, uh, it's educational. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I get quite you know a fair number of things wrong. You know, sometimes you misspeak or or there's something in an article that's not reported correctly, and uh, the the fact that I have an audience that can point it out. And also be like completely respectful and empathic about it is fantastic. It's because um, the internet loves to point out a mistake. Yes. But, um, Boy, they do. <laughs> Boy, they yeah. do. I, 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 it, I don't have to worry about um, anything too bad coming back to bite me because I always know that the guys uh, commenting, yeah, they have my back. So, it's, And that uh, is truly, in today's environment, that is something, as you said earlier, to be totally thankful for. Yeah. Uh, to have that type of audience. And so keep up that awesome work. And uh, how else would people find you other than your YouTube channel? How are, do you have ways in place where they could email you or do you, uh, are you through uh, Google plus or anything like that? Uh, well, my email is always open contact dash Chris at postio.net. Um, great uh, email service there. Got to definitely got to plug them. Um, also I'm on Mastodon. I don't know if you, um, Oh, I know yeah. you guys are vaguely familiar with it. Yep. Yeah, I spend a lot of time on Mastodon nowadays. It's it's nice to see a, a sort of a, a sort of a, a community that's quite techy, and it's nice to see a social network in its uh, early stages as well. So yeah, I'm Chris Ware at um, Mastodon Social. That's probably the place I spend most time these days. I've got to really take the time to get into Mastodon, check it out. Rocco and I have been on Telegram for a while, and they're adding some new features and that kind of thing. So, but Mastodon would be certainly something to check out as well yeah yep well we have completely enjoyed this dude i i know that i have um Absolutely. i love the conversation i love your take on things so maybe uh you can come back sometime absolutely absolutely uh later on in the year i'm a lot more free and available nice excellent so excellent yeah. well for you have an awesome night um excellent. it's getting a little late there for you i guess so yeah, yeah. I'm going to start winding down for night now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let me look at the yeah. time. Yep, you beat Ike Doherty out, so we'll go ahead and close the show since you beat Ike Doherty out. <laughs> Chris, thanks a lot, and uh, we Thank will you. catch you next time. Thank you. Thank you, Take Chris. care, guys.